Well, good morning. Uh, if you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the elders here at SOMA. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I always enjoy any time I get to, to share with you guys and open the Bible together. Uh, when I was younger, we had this tradition in my family. Around Christmas time, we would uh, go out to dinner, have a nice meal, usually me and my sister and uh, my mom and dad. And then when I got older, our families would do it together. And every year, we'd choose one of the typical uh, Christmas productions to, to go to together. And it was my sister's turn to choose. She would always go for the Nutcracker, um, which my big thing with the Nutcracker was always like, I get that the ballet is amazing, the music's beautiful, but I was there for the story. The first half of the show was this great story of the, the tension of the, the dance or the Christmas party, the presents, and the, the soldiers and the, the rats and everything. And then you have intermission, and then it's like the story hits a wall. And pretty much nothing happens for the rest of the show. And so for me, being this, this little boy there who's like, I just saw like a rat king fight a bunch of soldiers. That was amazing. Then I'm just like, I'm snoozing for the rest of the time. And I never could quite understand why they put all this effort into the dance and the music for the whole thing. And then the story just stops. So it was my turn to choose. I always went for the more story-driven uh, Christmas show. Uh, the Christmas Carol was always my favorite. Um, I loved this story of these larger-than-life characters grappling with these vices uh, like greed that completely enveloped their lives. And over the course of the show, you get to see uh, this transformation and this character seeing where their deeply held beliefs uh, come from and finding a way forward, finding uh, redemption, and ultimately uh, having their life transformed as a result of that. And I think a lot of times when we think about the idea of greed, we interact with it kind of in that larger-than-life space. It's the thing of fables. It's this seven deadly sin that uh, only the super rich really struggle with. And we just kind of, you know, we, we listen to those cautionary tales and we proceed on with our lives. Uh, but in our story this morning, Jesus starts out at the outset warning us against uh, not the greed of the super rich, not the larger-than-life greed uh, of stories, but all kinds of greed. And so if you'll read with me this morning, we're in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say, I will stand, store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so it is with those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your span of life, if then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For the nations of the world strive after all these things, and your Father already knows you need them. Instead, um, strive for his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not grow old, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you would teach us that your spirit uh, would be living and active in our hearts, um, drawing us to you and drawing us to worship and drawing us to give our lives uh, more deeply and more fully over to you, um, that we would grow as disciples uh, during our time together this morning. Uh, I pray all this in your name. Amen. So the three aspects that I want to pull out of this story this morning are the choice that the rich man makes, the mindset behind that choice, and the way forward. And so with the choice that he makes, there's this pivotal moment, right? There's the setup in the story where uh, the rich man's lands have produced very abundantly, um, and he has all of this new wealth, uh, and he's trying to figure out what to do with it. And then there's a point Reading the text, you may not even realize there's a choice uh, because it move, he moves through it so, qu- so quickly. And it says, he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And before he even stops to consider, he immediately moves forward. He says, I know, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And see, you might even hear that and say, well, that sounds reasonable. That sounds like something any person who wanted to be a good steward of what they were given would do. See, it's not in the actions of the rich man necessarily that we find issue today. It's in his aim, the aim that's driving those actions. And so what is his aim? He actually lets us in on it in this parable in the very next verse. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
be merry. So his aim isn't good stewardship or trying to use what he's been given the best way he can. His aim is to secure his life for himself, um, to lay up these goods so that he can sit back and know that he's secured his life in a way that it'll be safe, know that he won't have to worry about anything from then on out. And that kind of made me wonder for us, like the bar- tearing down barns, building bigger ones is kind of a metaphor lost on us, unless some of you grew up on a farm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, this is a time where we can share. Uh, we, we at SOMA believe that as the body of Christ, uh, the spirit actually interacts with us as we gather. And that when we share, not only the person speaking from the front, but those uh, sitting in chairs, when they, they contribute, uh, the spirit does something that couldn't be done otherwise. So I wanted to ask you guys, to, as you hear that, what, in, what comes to your mind? What are the things that you think of? You're like, oh, yeah, those are, that's a similar uh, impulse that I've had where I've done something uh, where I was given a bunch of new wealth or given some, some blessing and I had this aim to secure some life for myself as a result of that. Anything come to mind for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having those those new experiences to enrich your life and make it feel like your life was looked like something important or enjoyable, yeah. Yeah, it's like I don't have anywhere to put this money, so I guess I'll buy a better car, and that'll get me to the same place in the same amount of time, but at least I'll maybe in... <laughs> totally. Yeah, you, you just swipe left on your phone a few too many times to see where the stock market is today. Yeah. And then you might go down the rabbit hole and Google, why is it down? What's, uh, what's going on today? Or why is it up? Or, yeah, I totally feel that. And, and place it, placing whatever that number is, if it's a, b- above a certain amount, you feel okay. If it's below a certain amount, you start to feel like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the world. Yeah, I think 
whatever it is, it's, I mean, the interesting thing about this is that the action itself is sort of benign. Like you can, you can buy a house for the right reason, you can buy a house for the wrong reason. You can buy it to secure and store up wealth for yourself, or you can buy it as a way to serve your family. And so it doesn't ultimately come down to the actions. It's the aim uh, that Jesus is getting at this morning. And God's response to this aim uh, is pretty stark. It's the type of thing Jesus reserves for parables um, because it enables him to speak directly to someone's heart uh, in a way that they can hear it, where they're applying it to their own lives. And he says, uh, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. He's speaking to the rich man. And the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. And see, he's, again, he's not calling out the actions of the rich man. He's calling out his heart. And to the, the man who started the whole parable, who was simply asking for a fair dividing of his inheritance, he's not calling out that man's just request. He's calling out, why is it that you want that request? Why is it that that's so important to you right now? And so if that's the aim that Jesus is calling out, that innate drive to secure our lives, secure um, wealth for ourselves, what's the alternative? What's the alternative choice given to us? Um, and we're going to get there. But I think first, uh, we need to develop this mindset a little bit. We need to figure out, uh, before we can figure out the way forward, we need to figure out how we got where we are now. And I think a lot of times we confuse the problem. Like we make it a problem for the super rich. This is, this is about the Scrooges. This is about the Jeff Bezos. Uh, even as I was preparing uh, to preach, the only example I could think of for tearing down barns and building larger ones was kind of what we've watched happen in downtown Culver for the last several years. We literally saw sound stages on the Culver lot get demolished and bigger ones be built in their place when Amazon bought it. Um, so even as I was reading it, that was my go-to. It was like, oh yeah, th that's what this is about. It's, he's talking about those guys over there with that extreme wealth and what they're doing about it. And so we can easily make it a parable that's not about us if we just try to jump to the conclusion. Um, or we make it uh, a problem with wealth. And we say, this is uh, a problem with the super wealthy. They just have too much money. Um, but again, it's not about uh, the gift that's given him. It's not about the productive fields. That was a blessing from God. The problem was the aim that took root in his heart once that blessing uh, came in. And see, I picture Jesus looking out at the crowd at this point, and he's saying, he's seeing all of the reactions from the people there. He's seeing defensiveness, people who are feeling a little kind of stared down by this parable that he's just told. He's, he's seeing dismissiveness of people saying, oh, this isn't about me, this is about those other people, this is about the tax collectors. And then he's probably also seeing people who feel uh, the weight of that that conviction, uh, the spirit working on their heart, and they, they don't know where to go from there. And it's almost like you can see Jesus in the moment transitioning to from that, that stark challenge that we had uh, to a moment of compassion. At this point, he has one of his most famously pastoral passages that uh, 
it's one that I've gone to time and time again over the years. And it's, it's the ravens and the lilies. And I'll read it for us again. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And can you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. So you just sees beneath uh, even the greed of the man asking the question. And he sees that uh, this aim of self securing ourselves, uh, it doesn't come from a, a malicious place. Um, it comes from worry. It comes from really not knowing and not believing that we're going to have enough tomorrow. Um, and I think that's the default mindset of most humans, if we're honest. So yeah, we can't see the future. So storing up sounds reasonable. It sounds like a good idea. See, no one sets out to be greedy. That's not anyone's goal, probably, when they go to college and seek to get a job. Um, yet somehow greed finds many of us in the worry. And this is the all kinds of greed that I think Jesus is addressing. It's not the larger than life stuff of fables. It's the worry in our own hearts. And Jesus answers our worry. He doesn't just leave us there. And he answers it in two ways. He says, your father knows and your father delights. He says, in verse 30, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. It is your Father's delight to give you the kingdom. See, our Father knows our needs. And so we don't have to be anxious about them. Uh, he's met them time and time again. He meets our needs. And not only that, he meets us in our need. He's, his presence is with us in our pain, in our fear, in our struggles. And not only that, our Father delights to give us the kingdom. So we don't have to be afraid. And I think... This begins to speak to the, the, the fact that maybe you guys have had this experience where things are going okay in your life, God's generally meeting your needs, but there's still this anxiety, and there's still this worry, and there's still something that's not right. And it's like Jesus is saying, uh, I know that you want your needs met. I know that that's really important to you right now. And God meets your needs. He sees your needs. But that's not what you need. You need the kingdom. And he delights to give you the kingdom. Which is far better than simply having our needs met. So this is what our aim is to be set on. But how do we do that? How do we get there? When our natural default is storing up because we're fearful. 
how do we get to setting our aim on the kingdom to become rich toward God, which is the alternative that's posed to us? How do we choose better than the rich man in the story? And Jesus' way forward is, very simp- is a very simple metaphor that's easy to grasp. He says, make money bags instead of building storehouses. See, storehouses will decay. Left to their own devices, everything in them will eventually dry up uh, and rot. But money bags don't grow old. Storehouses get left behind. We can't take them with us. Money bags go with us everywhere that we go. Storehouses are for standing still. Money bags are for moving forward into what God has for us. Storehouses are for holding on to what we already have. And money bags are for giving away uh, to get what we cannot lose. As Jim Elliott said, uh, he's a famous missionary to the indigenous peoples uh, who gave his life ultimately for Jesus. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. And so becoming rich uh, is ultimately about a mindset shift. Uh, It's a shift where we truly begin to believe uh, where when we empty ourselves, Jesus fills us. And in order for uh, our vision to happen, one of the things that we shared this year is that the poor would be among us, that we wouldn't just be a church that values the poor and seeks to serve them, but there would be people of need in this room, uh, people who have nothing, um, that would be as every bit as a member of this church as you or I. And in order for that to happen, this mindset mindset shift is is critical. See, we're going to have to see... uh, that the true rich one became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. We're going to have to see that the one who said those who seek to secure their life will lose it, lost his life so that ours could be secured. And we're going to have to share in that life that Jesus opened for us, where we lovingly lay down our lives, where we lovingly sell our possessions if need be, create bandwidth in our life in order to be able to serve and ever to be able to love uh, people the way that Jesus loved us. And I know this is, it's, it's hard, it's a hard word, and it's, if we're honest, it, like, if I'm honest, even reading this and studying this, there were an infinite amount of rebuttals in my own heart, right? An infinite amount of reasons why this won't work, and that's not practical, and that's not actually what Jesus wants, or this is hyperbole, Jesus is just exaggerating, um, because the reality is, can be scary, and the reality can be a little intimidating. So I want to offer one more parable. And this is from uh, artist Makoto Fujimura, who wrote, wrote this in his book, Art and Faith. I'll paraphrase it for us. He says, imagine a child building a sandcastle at the beach, even knowing that the waves will inevitably crash and wash it away. And imagine a father watching him intently, enjoying every moment of it, also knowing that high tide is a a short time away. But what if this father is an architect? And what if he's so taken with the child's creation and love for his child that he says, you know what, I'm going to create a castle out of stone based on my child's castle. 
But what if it's even better than that? What if he takes the very sand the child is using, this temporal substance that's here today and washed away tomorrow, and he fashions something permanent, something that lasts into the new creation, something uh, where he transmutes sand into rock, something that echoes the brilliance of the child's creation, yet surpasses it into what it was always meant to be. And that's what our efforts are like in the kingdom of God. That's what it is we're being called into. See, everything that we hold on to, everything that we seek to keep in our life will ultimately decay. But everything that we give away uh, will never decay. So when we fear decay, uh, remember uh, this encouragement in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when your treasure is somewhere that doesn't decay, your heart won't ever either. And when you fear running out, when you fear the possessions that you have, the wealth that you'd have accumulated for yourself failing you, remember uh, that where your treasure doesn't fail you, your heart won't either. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the reminder this morning that you have opened a new life in your kingdom, a new life where life is secured through giving of self. And you uh, demonstrated that for us. You demonstrated this reality where uh, you gave yourself um, to secure life for us, ourself, for us all and to secure the life of the world, uh, to make all things new. And I pray that you would lead us uh, to join you in that. I pray that where we're uh, scared or intimidated by that, that you would comfort our hearts, that you would say, do not be afraid, little flock. I delight to give you the kingdom. Uh, Lord, help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to walk into it. Uh, help us to take your hand and, and go where you're leading us now. I pray all this in your name. Amen.